Alrighty, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is my always lovely co-host. Oh, why, thank you. You caught me <laughs> off guard there. Uh, Scotty Hertz, I'll, I'll try to continue to be uh, as lovely as possible. Good. Although it's difficult at times, yeah, there, there's a there's a big review coming up that uh, if if we don't pass we we can't stay on the air so we have to we have to we have to get all our points and all our all our ducks in a row. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm talking <laughs> talk on the spot. I'm we're revealing all of our secrets. The more we I know, talk, so I, I know. You know, just, just keep 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 our heads down and, and stay out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. No swears will be good, right? No swears. <laughs> <laughs> Always good advice. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the elected president of the Ontario Nurses Association, Catherine Hoy, who will talk to us about how her colleagues are feeling, the pressures that they're under, and what kind of help Ontario's nurses would like to see right this very minute that will be at the bottom half of the hour before that where you're going to talk about a few news items from the last week including the leaders of the freedom convoy they're in court they're out of court it's all far from over and we will have an update about all of that but first another update it's been a while since we've covered ukraine and the war that is still ongoing there day 156 today hmm. uh almost going on six months um the start of the war that russia started uh when we last sort of left things back in i want to say april it was probably before the election we was the last time we talked about it um russia had more or less abandoned their attempt to take over the whole country were focusing their efforts on the Eastern Front. Even that has not gone according to plan. Um, they have taken different cities and territories. Uh, Kershkin is uh, one of the cities that they've sort of taken. They have their eyes on places in Odessa and uh, other, other, other places in sort of the southern region along the Black Sea. This is important because there was actually a deal struck this week for... Uh, grain shipments to begin again from the Ukrainian ports, thus hopefully taking some of the pressures off world food prices um, since Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, uh, almost literally. And uh, having said that, though, of course, the day after this deal is signed, uh, Russia starts bombing the places around Odessa where you know Ukraine is trying to rehabilitate three ports so that they can get grain out. Uh you know, it's not great when you make deals and then swiftly break them, but that seems to be Russia's uh, primary. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to say mission objective, but uh, sure, that seems to be Russia's primary ba- primary battle strategy: make agreements, break agreements. Yeah, and I can't remember who made the comment. It may have even been Zelensky himself who said, "You know, we just can't can't trust anything at this point." Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, signed that agreement, and then literally the next day, and they made some kind of excuse uh, about the bombing. It's like, oh, there was there was a warship there. There's all this is the thing. There always seems to be some kind of excuse. I mean, if you <laughs> yeah. go back to February when the troops were amassing on the borders, it was like, oh no, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna invade them. We have no intention of attacking them, and then they did. Oh, but it's a special operation, though. It's not a war. <laughs> I'll never use the W word. It's always spe- they keep special operationing, you know, till. We don't know when, actually, but it's pretty much in terms of the fronts hit the attrition point where it's just this back and forth, right? This exchange, and then Ukraine will gain in an area, and then it sounds like the Russians or at least the the, the hired guns, the Wagner Group, have taken over a, a, a coal-fired plant was the latest I heard. Uh, the Vulaharsk, I think, is the place. Sorry about the pronunciation, folks, but um, which is to the north of... Um, the, the northern part of the um, mm. the area the area the front I was trying to was <laughs> the northern Luhansk yeah, it's, it's near the, the Luhansk front. region I believe yeah. right so yeah yeah whereas the uh, the gains that the Ukrainians have been making making have been further uh, further to the south but again it's just this kind of like back and forth back and forth when the the back and forth has stretched to uh, other issues too and there of course there's a little bit of uh, cancon in there the the gas turbine that was repaired and shipped back. Mm-hmm. And to the chagrin of Ukraine, and and I think Trudeau got a bit of a talking to about sending it back. Well, now the Russians are saying, well, we don't really know where it is. And, oh, we're having trouble with the other ones. So the natural gas flow to Europe, uh, Germany in particular, has been cut off. Or not cut off completely, but se- seriously reduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it is, it's still to me this kind of bizarro land where even though this battle is going on and we, you know, Europe is siding for the most part with uh, Ukraine, it's, there's still this exchange going on of fuel. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Germany is something like 55% of the gas comes from Russia. So half of it. So they're trying to stockpile it, but they can't because the taps haven't been completely turned off, but they've gone slow. Mm -hmm. And of course, Russia is like, Oh, well we don't, you know, how much we can do. Mm-hmm. We don't know where the turbine is. Like, <laughs> it's such a hurry to get it back. And it's like, well, yeah, I know everybody's got supply problems, but yeah, guess who caused that? Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't care. It's because they can't make money off of it anyway. It's uh, you know, they're they're bilking the EU, and if hey, if you want Russian gas, you gotta have to pay us in rubles, and nobody wants to do that. Possible exception of Hungary. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, like they're you know the, the the question is like what again what is the goal here and i think the goal here is to cause pain and you know you see this to a certain extent there's a news story t- today about how um some countries in the eu are trying to put pressure on social media uh, the social media companies because there's misinformation spreading in Spanish well of course where is that directed to it's i mean it's not being directed to spain no but it's certainly being directed to places in Central America and South America, which may be, uh, which may feel uh, indifferent to Western interests, but might be willing to um, side with Russia. And of course, where's Sergei Lavrov? Uh, he's doing a tour of Africa right now. Africa is being hit by high food prices and damaged uh, supply lines because of the pandemic. But, you know, what do you think Sergei Lavrov's doing in Africa and talking to governments in places like Nigeria? Do you think he's going like, well, you know, it's, uh, hey, we just wanted to invade Ukraine and uh, stuff. And, you know, we just went in there and took it back. Or do you think he's like, 
well, we had to go in Ukraine. You know what's, you know what was wrong with Ukraine? Full of Nazis, uh, including, yeah, I, I know that America, wink, told you that uh, Zelensky is Jewish, but that's all a smokescreen. They're really Nazis in Ukraine. That's why we're there, dude. So it's, <laughs> it's you know it, it's a it's a it's a multi-pronged assault and i mean yeah people are being killed and and hurt in the the actual war in ukraine but if you think russia is sort of like what resting on its laurels because it's not making any progress it's not there's a full there's a full-blown uh information war in effect too and uh the that I mean that's still a question of whether or not that will succeed. It's pretty clear that the the war war isn't succeeding, or at least not succeeding in the way Putin and others might have hoped. But the information war, uh, jury's still out on that. Yeah, and they found out quite early that the war wasn't going to go the way they wanted. Sorry, the special operation. But yeah, Lavrov's on <laughs> Lavrov's on the friends tour, right? I think Egypt, yeah. Ethiopia, yeah. Uganda, like trying to find trying to find the pals. And one of them, I think it was the president of Uganda was like, Oh, you know, that's Russia wasn't really wrong in what they were doing. Uh, but concurrently, well, there was also Putin went to Tehran as well. Like probably one of the only places he could go knowing they wouldn't catch a bullet probably. And uh, Turkey acting as the broker uh, in that they were there as well. And also in the grain deal. So Turkey seems to be in this, they are, you know, fulfilling their, um, not role, but Turkey is one of those places that kind of rides both Asia and, and Europe, right? It's a facilitator, yeah. A facilitator, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that um, there's that involvement. But there's this concurrent tour that Macron went on. I'm not sure if you saw some of that, Adam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's gone to the... the <laughs> it's the... Uh, Lavrov went to the former Sylvia friends, and Macron is, is going to the former colonies, Cameroon, Benin, <laughs> Guinea-Bissau, these places with four French colonies, right? So... Also trying to show up to friends, and I'm not. I'm not sure whether that was the. You know, this is just a coincidence, but it's sure as a hell of a coincidence that it happened mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and also I guess to add to that too, because it does play into it, Biden going to Israel and and Saudi. So a lot of it, I think, is to do with energy in terms of the states. But mm. um, so there's who are the friends? Who can help us? Where is the energy? What? Uh, where can our planes come and go from is probably some of the end game of that as well. And arms deals, I imagine, but I'm just, I'm spitballing at this point, but that's, that's usually what happens in these things, right? Well, arms- yeah, get, get your friends all lined up and go from there. Right. Yeah. Arms deals are big right now because that's sort of the thing that's dissuading Russia for moving further to the West along the coastline is that Ukraine has these American, um, uh, these American missiles that uh, they can put along the coastline and sink any ship. Uh, it, it makes an amphibious assault on places like Odessa that much harder. And uh, I mean, that's also one of the reasons why Russia launched this attack, quote unquote, attack on some phantom ship that they thought they saw off the coast of Odessa it's the, that uh, I think even British intelligence said wasn't ever there but um that's also where the stockpile of these missiles are and that's what that was kind of one of the targets so yeah arms are huge in this um especially given that that this is i mean this is essentially now a war of attrition even places like the donbass which keep in mind uh liberating quote-unquote liberating the donbass was the whole point of this special operation to begin with six months in donbass still not 
quote unquote liberated and um, British intelligence is saying that, you know, it could be several months before uh, any Russia sees any objective in uh, taking Donbass, which is kind of at this point, their only political object objective. They could take Donbass and say, hey, mission accomplished. You know, we're going to wind down the rest of the war and maybe shore up our our, you know, the, the our positions. Uh but they're nowhere close to taking Donbass, like several months, according to these intelligence analyses. So um, even if they wanted to sort of end on a turn around upside down note, uh, it's still months away. And goodness knows, I mean, they're already bringing the Mercs out. This war, again, it's the war's yep. not even six months old and they're bringing the Mercs out. So, um, you know, how much, how much stamina does, does Russia have for, for this? It's, it's questionable. I saw one stat that estimated they've lost 40,000 people. Yeah. And which is massive. I mean, they're, they're, their army is bigger. The military is bigger than, than Ukraine's. But if, if, if the losses are that great, then there's definitely something else going on. I saw you were talking a bit about misinformation there. And I saw a tweet today. And it was, uh, it's a great morning to be in the Donbass, Russia. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> so that was just like a random thing eh, in the feed. But I also saw that, and I'm not sure... I'm not sure why that came up in my feed, but that the the ban on RT across Europe is holding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Kremlin is upset by that. Of and you know where that's going to go, who knows? It it's maybe a minor point, but if they can't get the propaganda out, uh, the new browser I downloaded, Adam I was telling you about off off mic there uh, gets RT. I thought RT was banned in Canada as well, but it just it came up no problem. And I don't think that ban was lifted, but. I mean, so I there's, like, there's, you know, there's always ways around. Um, yeah, I just did a simple search and it came up. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't really read any of it. But <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I was, I didn't look at the pictures. I read the article. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I was gonna say it's kind of funny. Art Russia Today is the new Playboy. It's like yeah. I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't look at any of the propaganda. For God's sakes, don't mom. I read it. it for the international coverage. I wasn't reading it for the yeah. propaganda. I was um, looking for the weather in in, in St. Petersburg. Yeah, <laughs> I'm planning a trip to Minsk next month. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're laughing about it, but yeah, at this point, yeah. well, it's. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. it is what it is, right? And, and I, I think, you know, it, it to, to point to the fact that this doesn't, this doesn't, it doesn't make the news every day anymore. And that's no. what, another reason why I think we wanted to put it, shine a little light on this. No. Just, we, it's, we've gotten used to the rhythm that it's, it's kind of a gong show over there and it, it, it will be until someone decides to give up, I guess. Yeah. It's all Pope all the time right now. So it's Pope TV. Oh, <laughs> for another day <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 he's uh we're, he's almost done and um anyway. oh he's done all right anyway <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right <laughs> sorry not sorry you know yeah. it's, it's it's a good segue though because um there was a news story last week about the uh Meskwakis people in alberta wanting to make sure that the freedom convoy know or, or knew that they were not welcome on the reserve uh, during the Pope's visit that they did not want uh, any other issues uh, to, to deflect from uh, their, their struggle for reconciliation uh, with the church. And uh, the RCMP also came out and said that they had heard rumblings that such thing was going to happen and they had an eye on it. Just for another reminder that the Freedom Convoy did not go away. 
it is still here. Its leaders were in court uh, last week and this week. Tamara Lick uh, was uh, given bail again. Uh, the judge seemed to indicate that she had at least one more strike. This was her second strike. She has one more strike before she's out. Uh, Pat King, though, Pat King walking around free for the first time in five months. So, hey, good for him. <laughs> I'm laughing like that, but Pat King, man, like at least Tamara Leach doesn't seem completely stupid. But mm-hmm. Pat King, the whole somebody going in and d- defending themselves and not listening to the lawyers and figuring that they're smart enough to be able to navigate the system. She had what's Greenspawn, right? Mm-hmm. That's the top dog and they don't come cheap. So no. it'd be interesting to find out who's actually paying for this lawyer. I don't know if it's necessarily her, but what was she, what her her day job is with the oil and gas industry, right? Or some kind of organization. Yeah. I think this is where the, the overlap is between her and Pat King was that that, that original, the Yellow prototype, vest. I guess, of the current convoy was back in 2019, right? Yeah. Yellow vests. Yellow vests. Exactly. So the, the problem with this gang is that they don't listen, but they can't come up with original ideas. The, <laughs> the, uh, the last shot I saw of the convoy, they've all adopted uh, flag of the Netherlands. And I'm like, what the heck is that about? I just saw this shot and I'm like, why do they have Dutch? Well, Netherlands flags. <laughs> I'm old school, still say Dutch, but so it, it was like a world cup parade, right? Like, oh, they wanna... So the, there's this overlap now between the convoy. And of course it isn't about vaccines. Was it ever? Uh, isn't now have latched onto this idea. That's well, not idea. There's um, in the Netherlands, they're cutting back on or trying to, Uh, cut back on the overuse of fertilizer, Mm -hmm. particularly nitrogen in the name of the environment. But now it's along the lines of, I love oil and gas. Like I love fertilizer. Uh, (laughs) And there was a, there was a March or a protest in Amsterdam is about 3000 people. And it wasn't just about fertilizer. It was about, it was anti-refugee. There was talk of the satanic cults and uh, all about the tyranny, exactly how the convoy you know, these, these are kindred spirits, but across the water, right? So there's mm-hmm. this, that's where they all tend to interleave, right? There's the, the connections between them all. But yeah, it's like, I don't care about Tamara Leach and, and Pat King, right? Like, mm-hmm. who who cares? So you, you, you're Dan Court and all of that. Um, I would say that Tamara Leach is probably a nonviolent person, although Pat King was the one that said, oh, you know, Trudeau should take a bullet. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So in terms of who you would keep in on bail, but they don't listen. They keep breaking the bail conditions. And I saw there was uh, somebody taking friendly bets on Twitter <laughs> as to how long is it going to be until Pat King uh, ends up back in jail for violating his bail conditions. Cause he's just going to go on social media because he needs, it's all about him. Right. Mm-hmm. He's on social media and tell the story, which has been told not to do mm-hmm. and not to talk to certain people in the convoy and all of these conditions. Right. And if you fulfill these, then you can stay out. And if you don't fulfill these, as we've seen, then you're going to get hauled in again. You know, you'd almost think they want to get hauled in. I know my rights, freedom. I'm just going to say things. Uh, and then <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> Reasonable expectation is how it works. Right? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's totally got dinged for going to this. Uh, what's it called? The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom Gala. Oh, the George Jonas Freedom Award, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. where I mean, I think she got permission to go where she got dinged was she had like a two minute conversation, got her picture taken with somebody who was another organizer organizer of the convoy. So um, 
you know, that that uh, that ended up sending her back to court. And I think, yeah, I, I think you're right about like these two are kind of and the judge again, the judge said that he's like, like you know, everybody's kind of watching you, Tamara. So, you know, maybe you should. You know, like, I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you should like strictly follow the rules of your parole so that because there there was certainly like, you know, first opportunity to to ding her and put her back in jail. The the crown uh, picked up on that. The other thing is, too, is like how how entrenched are are people getting? And there was a story on Anti-Hate Canada about the United People of Canada, which is a, a new sort of like nonprofit. It sounds like a shiny, happy people community group. And they uh thoroughly hate it when they get lumped in with freedom convoy people even though uh <laughs> it seems they're very lumped in with convoy people because one of the three organizers around it is uh Dwayne Lick who is you know none other than uh Tamara's husband really is, wow. yeah surprise <laughs> <laughs> you another is Kimberly Ward who's kind of been like one of Tamara's sidekicks through everything and the other is uh diane nolan who is someone else who is like doing press conferences side by side with tamara lick and you know they they've they've bought a church in lower town in ottawa um it's they're ostensibly selling it as a community center but you know what's you know what's their symbol it's a white tree with branches and roots like growing out around it and i mean you, you don't want to sort of da vinci code these things but at, at the same time it's like oh it's a big white tree with branches and roots growing everywhere hmm what does that sound like but they're absolutely not racist is what they're saying which i mean it, it, i mean these things are kind of scary that they're um they seem to be putting in roots in ottawa um right there in like the center of town i mean that's where churches are right they're at like they're they're at corners or in the centers of of neighborhoods and you know what happens the next time where and that, something like that yeah that's the thing now the churches are kind of empty or empty yeah. so you can get one at a reduced rate or cheap uh even though it's this big imposing building which is difficult to heat and whatnot so the united people of canada obviously must have some bucks somewhere and of course as i keep mm. saying that is the great question i saw their banner it, it, it looks kind of churchy like i think the intention was to kind of echo some of the logos, maybe like they're calling themselves the United People. I'm seeing the United, United Church logo in my mind, but I don't know, maybe Unitarians. I'm not even sure. But that tree, exactly what you're describing there, is stolen as well. Because as I said, they don't have any original ideas. <laughs> so, of course, if they do have this embassy, as they're calling it, or compound, which is more like what it is, you know, it's more akin to probably Hell's Angels. Um is, yeah, isn't there a biker church in Ottawa as well? Isn't, wasn't that was somewhere they were? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm not directly associating Hell's Angels with it, but I just somehow remember there was a biker, <laughs> biker-based church. We're, Don't we're come trying, after me, Hell's hey, Angels. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> we're not trying to sully the good name of Hell's Angels. No, with freedom. <laughs> but yeah, so the, that's what I'm saying. Like these places are available, and somebody will pick them up and just install themselves. But yeah, that's. I mean, that Lowtown is right. It's steps from Parliament Hill. Mm-hmm. Right, you can see mm-hmm. it from there. So the it's this that re- the residential area where the Hong Kongers were driving everybody bonkers. So <laughs> I'm sure the neighbors aren't too pleased about that. They may even prefer having Hell's Angels in the neighborhood than the than the 
you know, this gang, whatever their plans are, the, em- the embassy, like they, they've got a lot of nerve to call it that, right? Because yeah. otherwise dotted with embassies, probably like a real embassy for a smaller country right beside them there. But who knows? But yeah, the um, Canada Proud and the Rebel, I've seen some of the traffic on Twitter of them obsessing over Tamara Leach because she was trending this morning. I thought, oh, to my, you know, against my better judgment i clicked on it and then of course it was the yeah she got bail but it's just all of it was rebel and can the proud so well uh, i mean it's it's we're not obsessing over it but we're talking about it. at least they say no one ever talks about this it's like we talk about it yeah well uh, they don't want us talking about it though no. um i mean the, the other piece of this too is uh who should emerge from the shadows this week but stephen harper who uh endorsed oh. <laughs> endorsed uh pierre polivere who is you know a couple of weeks ago was hanging around with uh, James Top, who is one of the yep. organizers and still is, you know, sort of out there. Speaking to him in simple Anglo-Saxon language or whatever he said that last time. Yeah, and exactly. And, and uh, you know, I that's code, man. I don't care what anybody says. It's it's absolutely code. But the, the, the problem, too, is that I think we're on a, a course of Pierre Polivare becoming the leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, not that we were ever not on the course, but I mean, we're in sort of like the the salad days of, uh, of, of <laughs> highway of, to the danger zone. Yeah. <laughs> before, before Pierre takes over. And, you know, if you go on Twitter and you see some of those, like, see, like even just a random tweet from, from Paul Levere, you know, and look at the responses is like, yeah, we're behind you. We're going to stick it to the world economic forum and all the pedos and all this. And it's like, um, they've got their I, guy. They've yep. got their guy, yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what's what's really kind of scary is we saw that growth in the People's Party um, from the 2019 election to the 2021 election. Well, what happens when someone's trying to out Bernier Bernier on the on the conservative side? And yeah, you have to wonder: Are Peoples and and the rest of them going to kind of fold in back to the conservatives now? Maybe that's the whole plan. Right. And Pierre is speaking their language, right? Yeah. And it's like, if you want to have control, you want to have like people in government, like. And so is Danielle Smith. Have you seen some of that? I know we're diverging. Oh my God. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's just incredible. Like. Yeah. She's right in there. She's derailment. (laughs) on derailment. Like, okay. She, yeah. She's like completely pilled now. Um, Mm -hmm. Not again, not, you know, Danielle Smith has never really believed in anything so she will believe in everything yeah. um you know it famously led her led the wild rose party across the floor to the conservative party where they that, all swiftly that, lost their seats but that kind of talk will get you convoy votes so yes and the question is what happens then and there, there was also an article this week that said uh, i can't remember where but it said you know if the conservatives lose again like is that the end of the conservative party that you know the the red tories will have had enough of the the crazies because the crazies are keeping them out of power and the crazies will have enough enough of the red tories because they think the red tories are holding them back you know that this could be another like divergence point for um for for the right wing in canada which you know not not on entirely unfamiliar territory, but we'll have to see what yeah. happens. The reform days would shut them out for ages, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, can th- I can think of a few people who probably have their fingers crossed for that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we will take a break here and then we'll come back and talk to a nurse. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. 
our Royal Cat Records pick of the week, Royal Cat Records 21 McDonnell in downtown Guelph. And that song is number 20 on this week's CFRU chart. That is Ecodec, whose uh, compound is actually very close to the Hertz bunker, <laughs> I might add. Ecodec featuring Onkar Singh. The album is called Recalibrate, just out, I believe. And the song is called Cellular. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's cellular level or cellular phone, but you can make of that what you will. Anyway, well, great yeah. stuff from around the corner. We'll have to we'll have to rewind and do a deep dive, and maybe we can get Ecodac to just come on and tell us too. Maybe we can. Anyway, rewrite our theme song. Yeah, <laughs> it almost. No, we have to keep it. We have to keep it. It's almost it's almost nine years, so maybe it is time for a refresh. Know, anyway, um. Speaking of long time and coming, we have a guest this week, and her name is Catherine Hoy. She's elected president of the Ontario Nurses Association. And, uh, you know, if you've been up on Delhi Street, you've seen the lineup of ambulances. Probably it seems to happen with alarming frequency. And that is because of staffing issues. A lot of that is falling on to the backs of nurses. So the people that Catherine Hoy represents. So we talked to her about uh, what the nurses are going through, uh, what kind of changes they'd like to say, you know, maybe if, uh, you know, more training, more people, more money, uh, less bill 124, that will almost definitely come up in the next 20 minutes or so. So we're going to throw it to our interview with Catherine Hoy starting right now. Okay, Catherine Hoy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Adam. Anytime. Um, as we can hear, uh, you are being dinged, so you are a very busy woman, so we appreciate that time. I but, just uh, turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, but I mean, just generally speaking, we're heading into a long weekend. It seems like every week, as, as we get close to the weekend, uh, we're hearing about emergency rooms in, in big cities and small rural areas, you know, struggling for staffing. Um, your members, how are they feeling right now? Just, you know, in terms of, you know, just general feelings of, you know, given, given all the pressures on them, how are they feeling? Uh, burnt out, tired, defeated, disrespected, not heard. Um, you know, I could go on and on probably. <laughs> When we hear, um, the, it seems like it's become this catch-all phrase, staffing issues. It, it seems like, you know, when, you know, when you hear about a movie and, and a director and a star have creative differences, it seems like a catch-all term. But when, when we're, you know, tuning into the news and we hear someone say staffing issues um, are forcing an emergency room to close overnight on the weekend, what are we talking about there? What does staffing issues mean? Staffing equals registered nurses, let's be clear. That's where the issues are. And there will be an issue with doctors, I'm pretty sure, in the fall, but uh, it's registered nurses. 
Mm-hmm. And is it a matter of, I guess, you talked about burnout. So is it a matter of nurses being spread too thin, nurses having no days off, nurses, I mean, just whether it's COVID, whether it's exhaustion, just, you know, the, the physical toll is like after two and a half years, this is kind of what we're seeing now. Nurses have are, are, are kind of like out of gas, kind of universally speaking. Well, if you'll indulge me, I sure. uh, did a little figuring out. Now I have 15 patients and I'm coming on shift and I'm going to get report at the beginning of the shift, the end of my shift, two minutes a patient. That's an hour overall. I have to do a head to toe assessment and I have to do charting for 15 people. That's seven and a half hours. Now I'm going to have to do meds. There's usually on days, three rounds of meds, 15 minutes each time, 15 patients. That's 6.75 hours. Now I'm going to allow each patient 15 minutes to answer the call bell, toilet them, bath them, change their IV bags, and you know maybe talk to uh, their families. That's 3.75 Somewhere in this whole day, I have to have a bio break, eat and and, uh, drink. So I'm entitled to my lunch, my dinner. Then I'm going to give 15 minutes to each of these patients and families, well, patients to check their orders, sign off, phone the docs, check their blood work. So when you add that all up, it's 24.5 hours. But guess what? My shift's 12. Right. And and that's if it's a perfect day. And nothing else goes wrong. So when people say, why are they burnt out? That's why they're burnt out. Mm-hmm. And people are kind of, the reason why I come asking these questions about what's going on inside the hospital is that, you know, here in Guelph, we see people posting pictures online of the lineup of ambulances up and down Delhi Street, which is the, the street that the Guelph General Hospital is on. And people are like, well, what's the delay? What's the holdup? Um, there does seem to be, I guess, I guess the, we as the general public are not quite aware of sort of what's going on in the hospital and why these delays are, are happening. And from what you are saying is the, the big factor is just that there is too much work for the current complement of nurses right now. That's right. So the trauma rooms are already full. All the general bays are already full. People are in the hallways and you only have half the nurses maybe even less and now ems rolls in and that's why you're seeing the long lineup because a there's nowhere to put them b there's no nurse to take report and hand over so ems has to stay with that patient to ensure they're safe but ensuring that they're safe means the uh, ambulances are not out in your community to take care of the people that have just been in a car accident, having a heart attack, a child that's having a, um, you know, some sort of issue, an allergic reaction. That's why they're not there. And that increases the risk to the community. I mean, how much of this is like, we're, we're, we're at a point of crisis, obviously, but and crises don't just happen. I think we all understand that. But, you know, how much of this is years and years of systemic underfunding, under supporting? And, and how much of this is just because the last two and a half years have been a complete mess with a global pandemic happening. Exactly. And, you know, I don't want it to sound like I'm throwing the Ford government under the bus because this is a long standing uh, issue for the last 10, 15 years. We were telling the liberals, you know, you need to up nursing. Did you not learn anything from SARS? 
that the SARS report said, take care of your human health resources. Don't cut us off at the ankles because we're the most expensive line item in the budget. And, you know, just hope that, you know, everything works out. But then the pandemic hit. Well, Bill 124 came out before the pandemic, November 2019. So let's be clear. There was another agenda with the Ford government that they were going to cut us even further. And then the pandemic hit, you know, February, March. And then, uh, but that was the actual snowball of it all was the disrespect for the nurses. And I say it a lot, but unfortunately, reporters don't report it. I don't know why. Police at one time were paid less than nurses. They were brought to parity and have surpassed us. So why are we not being brought to parity with them? We all work 365, 24-7, miss times with our families, and we all and both experience violence, but they have a gun and a taser. We have a stethoscope and a pen. So that doesn't work the same yeah. when we have someone that's shielding a knife at us or there's gunshots in an emerge. And don't think it doesn't happen because last Sunday a nurse had a knife to her. And a couple of months ago, one of my nurses were stabbed. So it does happen. You know, I go to uh, the CN Tower for lunch with my family and we go through a metal metal detector, but yet at a hospital, hey, you're free to walk in. Guns, knives, credit card knives, machetes. And even if there's no weapons, you got your fists and your feet to kick, bite, spit, everything. So it, it's a bigger issue than just having the, the, the nurses there. there. There are other like sort of systemic issues in terms of creating a safe environment because I think and maybe this is partially the fault of we in the media that it, it's kind of a, a money issue, a resources issue. Um, and it, it definitely is, but there is more going on to sort of losing nurses in the business than just money. Well, and that's it. And I, I say to media, you know, we need someone to do an expose on this because, you know, you get invited onto media and I can't tell you how thankful I am for that, but you know what, you need more than 30 seconds or 60 seconds. You know, there's things that are going on out there that people are dying because of staffing, but until a family will step forward and ask those questions and say, how many nurses short were you on that unit when my loved one died? And someone gets out in the media, like right now, they're investigating a COVID uh, outbreak in Armprior, and they're investigating three deaths. Like that should be out there in the media right now that, you know, we could long-term care could be at risk again. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's the other part of this story too. And I was thinking a lot about this because again, here in Guelph, we've been talking about uh, crises of um, people who are homeless here, people who are on the street suffering from uh, abuse of substances and uh, mental health issues as well. And I mean, who's on the front line of that too? Well, a lot of nurses are involved in those issues. Yes, they are. They are. There's a lot of nurses that um, are out working directly with that community to keep them safe. And the general public doesn't probably even realize that. Like, I have to say, um, I guess I'm disappointed that the people of Ontario are not crying out publicly and making demands. Healthcare is, um, for Ontario, it really isn't a privilege. It is a service, a service that we all pay for in our tax dollars. 
We pay the feds and they transfer money. We pay the provincial and that's for that. And our employers pay 1.95% on every dollar that we earn dedicated to health. Mm -hmm. And where is all that money and what is the problem? Mm -hmm. We have had a, an election a month ago, a uh, new minister of health, um, same minister of long-term care, but have you had meetings with them, even just casual phone conversations? Have they checked in saying, hey, Catherine, how's it going? <laughs> uh, I had a seven minute introduction meeting with the health minister, but that's been it. Um, now, I will say uh, Premier Ford's chief of staff has been very good about um, returning my phone calls or speaking to me. And I'm very thankful about that. But in the same breath, I need action. I need action yesterday. I don't need another phone call. I need action. It cannot wait. People are dying. People are having adverse effects. You cannot tell me that the closures of all these ERs, labor and delivery, ICU beds, is not affecting people's lives. It is. And there's a big difference in terms of that impact. And I saw you talking on City News about that. Uh, in Toronto, you can sort of hit the panic button and get the staffing you need to make sure an emergency room doesn't close. But if you're in St. Mary's, uh, bigger area to cover, more rural, um, the panic button doesn't sort of go as far. But the panic button will bring in staff, mm -hmm. but not regulated staff. Right. They were asking for extenders and they are nursing students, new graduates, uh, EMS students, uh, uh, medical school graduates. They still have to go through residency. Those people are not regulated healthcare workers. hundred percent. They're a help. But at the end of the day, the nurse the registered nurse still needs to do the job. They're the ones giving the medications. They're the ones checking the IVs. They're the ones that, you know, are there doing the assessments. Uh, helping hands, fabulous, but they don't replace the registered nurse. There's no substitute for experience. There's no substitute for experience. You're so right. You know, and again, just looking at it from the point of view of the general public, we, we before the election, we had, you know, this, these bonuses that the government was offering. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, there was the, uh, the idea about getting more sort of foreign trained nurses into, uh, into the, the business faster. Um, I, I understand that these are kind of all Band-Aid solutions. Um, but they, they've kind of had no effect at all from your point of view in terms of helping the, the staffing issue. So we'll just go back to the word bonus because that's yeah. the worst spot for me. Yeah. Uh, it was retention <laughs> funds. And that is money for over three years, mm -hmm. which at best is like, you know, maybe 85 cents an hour. But if you're working overtime, it's, you know, the way nurses have been, it's probably maybe 50 cents an hour. But let's think about this too. $5,000 retention bonus, but 40% of for that for most comes back to the government mm -hmm. because we're paying CPP, EI, federal and provincial tax. So it sounds like the government gave out $5,000, but right. they are getting a return for their investment. Now, the international trained nurses, apparently we have 14,000 of them in Ontario, which would be such a help. 
So uh, the government needs to get them licensed ASAP. But that leads to another problem because now they're going to come in and they need to be orientated. They need to have a mentor to know how things are done differently in Ontario because things are very different in different countries. So they need to be supported. So when we're already short half the nurses in a unit, who's going to support them? It's just then chaos and chaos leads to errors. So we need to bring back the retired nurses to help them. But they're only coming back if Bill 124 is out the window, because that's why they quit. That was one of the main reasons why they quit, because they were disrespected. And in this day and age, I don't know any male that would think that a female should be treated the way that we are and that we are worth less than Mm. a male counterpart. Right. And of course, it's worth keeping in mind a lot of the um, professions affected by Bill 124 are predominantly female led professions, teachers, nurses. Yeah. Yes, they are. So if we're not talking about Band-Aid solutions uh, and we're talking about something more long term, I, I was trying to think of a term about what we could call like a cast solution or a, <laughs> or a recovery solution. But I mean, you know, you're let's put you in charge of the Ministry of Health right this minute. What oh, do you my do? God, I'll take the job. Thanks. <laughs> I wish it was mine to give, but I mean, <laughs> as, as, as if we're playing hypothetical here, I mean, what's, you know, what are the, what are the moves you start making? Okay. So the moves I start making first bill 124 right out the window and get the OHA and own it back to the tables to renegotiate the last two collective agreements. I would get all those international nurses trained. I would get the retired nurses, entice them to come back and only do support of the international nurses, the new graduates, the new hires and the fourth year nursing students doing their placement. I would put in a RPN to RN fast track program and I would fund that program so that they could leave their jobs and come in and do the program full time to get them out. That would get us some nurses back out. I'd also look at some of the university programs. and I'd try and condense them from a four-year program, maybe down to a two-and-a-half-year program where they would go 12 months out of the year. I'd also increase the seats. And to some people's dismay, I would probably look at bringing back the diploma program that the College of Nurses has taken away. Because if you do the math, that is a greater percentage of the nurses that we are short. When they took away that program, they didn't increase the seats in the universities to balance Mm. it out. So no one had foresight for that. So that would be my first thing. I would take away some of the funding that they're offering for tuition because the program's already oversubscribed. Uh, There's probably 30 applicants or more for one seat. A friend of mine's son had a 97 and didn't get in. So that tells you something right there. And um, then, and I would take those monies for, and I wouldn't give anyone a bonus for signing on because there's tons of jobs. You don't need to do that. And every area is, um, isn't enough staff. So there's no reason for that. And it causes animosity between coworkers when one gets a bonus and the other one doesn't. There is the new grad program that they can utilize to support them better. Those funds I would redirect to nurses that um, have a few years under their belt that want to take the ICU program 
or any of the Canadian nursing certification programs to enhance their skills. We need triage nurses. I would fund triage programs for them. Um, I would cover all the PALS programs, uh, anything like that to upscale all my nurses in Ontario, that would be covered. So that's just off the top of my head. I didn't even get to get in and see what else could be available to me. I was going to say that's, uh, that's a pretty comprehensive list. And it makes me think it's probably not the first time you've thought about it. Um, I dream about it. And, dream about and I, I'm telling you, that's pretty darn sad. <laughs> no, and I hear you. And uh, I, I just wonder, like, what are the barriers to making that a reality other than just, you know, government, I, I, government action? I mean, but I mean, government action. But surely I, they understand, right? Yeah, I wish I was one as, you know, Cinderella's fairy godmother and I had, you know, that pretty little wand and could go poof, but um, I don't. So I have to say, you know, um, I call the government regularly and I push, push, push. I do this job. I had a job. I'm a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. I do this job because I truly believe in uh, public health care. I truly believe in equity. And um, I don't think your paycheck should dedicate whether you have the right to health care, which means you have the right to life or death. Right. I truly believe as a Canadian that that's, uh, we, we should stand for all that. Taking care, our communities that we live in are our families. What can the government do to sort of say, we're clearing the slate, you know, we're going to, work and figure this out you know you, you've kind of put the onus on them you have the ideas on how to fix this they have the ability to fix it so what does like like starting again look like i guess well it, you know what we did a really good job with the ford government on directive five when there was all the issues with the ppe uh the previous uh, president vicky mckenna and myself i think it was over friday saturday sunday uh, we uh, worked diligently and created the Directive 5 document to ensure that all healthcare workers had uh, the right to PPE at their discretion and not at management's discretion. And it was a great job. And, and that was with the Ford government. And um, I'm really proud of us, meaning both sides, that we did that. So we need to do that again with nursing. We need to everyone needs to clear their calendars and let's sit down at the table for a week and let's get this banged out and signed off because this is exactly what we need. And we've proven that we can work together and do this. Uh, maybe a couple of brief questions to, to wrap up. Uh, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, uh, even if it doesn't feel like it. So, I mean, what kind of I, I, what kind of effort would you like to see right now to sort of make sure, I mean, the numbers are, are getting, cre are creeping back up. We've seen the last couple of weeks, hospital numbers for COVID creeping back up. What can, what can we do right now to help turn that around? Well, my personal opinion is we have to tighten back down. I mean, the economy has to go on, um, but you know, um, maybe masking needs to come back um, as mandatory, um, you know, uh, long-term care needs to um, tighten their belts um, a lot. They need to still allow 
visitors. That is important. You know, at least one or two visitors that have been tested, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't get to see my mom for eight months during COVID. And then she passed on a little bit later. Um, but um, that was devastating. Yeah. So for families and that, but, but they need to protect the seniors and they need to protect the staff that are in there. So I'd like to see some tightening down. Uh, and even in hospitals, um, you know, mandatory masking, maybe cut down the visitors, um, things like that. But that'll be up to those workplaces or the government to um, impose some legislation for that. And as we've been talking about, we're heading into a long weekend, uh, kind of famous for especially in the summertime for sort of an up uh, an uptick in accidents and uh, things. We have Canadian blood services asking for people to come out and donate blood. Uh, are, are you worried about this weekend? I am worried about this week. I'm worried about every weekend, but I'm really worried about this weekend, the September long weekend, because exactly what you said, more people out in the roads, everyone's in a hurry, more accidents, accidents at, uh, you know, parks, Canada's wonderland, water parks, like, you know, just people falling and hurting themselves, you know, things like that. And then, you know, we forget about, I'm really worried about after the long weekend in September, because every hospital has a university in their town, they're all going to be coming back. And yeah. remember, we have kids that have been under COVID restrictions for several years now, really not going to school and learning the skills of becoming a young adult. And I hate to say it, but the drinking, the partying, that's all part of first year university and, you know, a few others, but it is for sure. And because these kids haven't had the experiences of being away from home and, you know, the safety of their families, you know, it'd be like, you know, a, a go wild party. Mm. So I'm worried about the ERs and all those towns and what that could mean for them. It's, it's every time you look at a calendar, there's always something in a month that you're going to worry about that there's an event that's yeah. going to increase hospital admissions. So stay safe out there, I guess is a good message to leave it on. But uh, Catherine Hoy, we thank you for all the work that you do and your advocacy. And uh, I think a lot of people in Ontario have your back and hope that we can get some of that help you're looking for. So thanks for uh, thank you at least for coming on our show today and talking about it. Anytime, Adam, anytime. Okay, so once again, that was Catherine Hoy of the Ontario Nurses Association telling us like it is. Bless all the nurses. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Oh what yeah. A time. Yeah. It's uh, and it's summer. So it's, uh, I, I did hear a report um, today that uh, Canada blood services is facing a shortfall. So if you don't have any plans for the long weekend, maybe hustle up to uh, Silver Creek and uh, book an appointment at Canadian blood services and at least take one, one small thing off the, the old to-do list to help people out in the province, uh, give blood, save a life. Great idea. I'm on the yeah. blacklist. Otherwise I would, but <laughs> it's not the only blacklist Scotty Hertz is on no. that's for another time. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And uh, you can stay connected to us on our website, opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at open sources newswire and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to our show again, you can download it from our website every Monday 
on the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, particularly the show listings, cfru.ca slash shows. And uh, there's more great programming coming up here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We are going to take a couple of weeks of summer vacation for ourselves. So there will be repeats playing in this spot for the next couple of weeks. But we will be back on August the 18th for another great new fresh edition of Open Sources. And we will see you then.